Good afternoon, folks. My name is David Topazian. I'll give you a brief uh, biography. I haven't done much <laughs> that's notable or worthy to discuss, but I was uh, I practiced oral and maxillofacial surgery in near New Haven, Connecticut, for 33 years. I was uh, associate clinical professor of surgery at Yale University uh, Department of Surgery and. Then in 1988, my wife and I decided that we had had enough of the American lifestyle, and we went to uh, South America as full-time missionaries with TEAM, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. And we were there for nearly, for a little over six years, and uh, had just a wonderful time struggling with a new language and uh, trying to uh, keep in jail Hugo Chavez, who is now making all kinds of trouble. He was actually in jail while we were there because he had been he had perpetrated an unsuccessful coup d'etat. So uh, we left Venezuela and started Project MedSend that some of you know about. And, and MedSend takes over the uh, monthly payments of student loans for people who are uh, committed to careers in medical missions and who are preparing and on the way. We don't pay scholarships. We wait till you got one foot on the jetway, and then we pay that payment and any other payment that you would have for your student loans for the rest of uh, the time so that, uh, and now many, many, many young people have had their loans completely paid off and continue to serve. That's the ideal uh, that we uh, aimed for. In the process, I developed a, a real interest in uh, seeing how Christians handle their money. And uh, when we saw uh, applications come to Project MedSend that showed that people didn't have a great deal of understanding about money uh, because of the way they borrowed and the way they spent, we started to uh, this little ministry of uh, workshops at conferences and so forth uh, that would uh, help enlighten young people who who came from a variety of backgrounds as to how to handle money, managing money from a biblical perspective, because the Bible has much to say about money, and the Lord uh, really cares about how we handle material things. So uh, we developed this ministry, and uh, this is what you think every time the, you pick up the newspaper, the world has changed, and that's the way it is with money. A year ago, nobody was concerned about anything, and people were living in, in homes that were uh, high-priced and for which they were borrowing more money to pay the mortgage. And now we are uh, just a year later, and what a mess we have economically. Does anyone want to argue with that? <laughs> it's a mess. But... Uh, it got that way because of greed and a few other things, but also poor management of money. And those who are the powers that be should have studied the Bible. They would have done things differently. The world has changed, but we want to learn some biblical principles of money management that will help us in uh, our borrowing for education. Now, um, one of the, the important factors uh, in this whole process is not to give up. Because if you've borrowed $150,000 and you see that you're going to borrow more, 
the tendency in many cases is to throw up your hands and say, oh, well, I borrowed all this. I might as well make it 200000 and then you're tempted to buy something that you don't really need. And uh, that mindset can take over. And for Christians, it's a bad thing because God wants us to be really careful about how we use resources that belong to him. So don't ever give up. Use your, your, what you've learned about money management and stick with it. And if you think you're borrowing too much, review some of the things that we'll talk about today and then uh, go at it again. But don't ever give up. The other thing not to do is to do what our culture does. One day uh, at a Christian Medical and Dental Association annual meeting, quite a number of years ago, a young couple came up to me and they said, you know, we're really troubled about uh, our our finances. The husband was an up-and-coming otolaryngologist. He had a pretty high income. And I said, well, what's the problem? She said, uh, wife said, we're just under the gun, constantly uh, in need of money and really not uh, seeing our way clear and having to borrow for things that most people seem to buy just out of their current income. What's the matter with us? So I said, just giving it a few words, what you're, an example of what you're talking about. Well, she said, We've ju- we just built a new house, and we're, we, we moved in and uh, just barely sold the old house. And she said, you know, as we kept building this house, uh, the... the family consists of husband, wife, and two young boys. Uh, as we built this new house, we could see that it was, it was going to be much more costly than our, our other house. And uh, when we, we, so we came to your seminar a year ago. <laughs> that was the biggest mistake they made because she said we couldn't stop talking on the way home. They drove from Texas to Florida. Couldn't stop talking about this house that we built and now we've moved in and we figured it cost us more for the one month's interest on the mortgage than it would cost for both of our boys at a private school for a whole year. And as I remember it, it was $3,300 a month in interest. That wasn't a lot. That wasn't a lot now, but then it was. And... uh, I said, well, describe the house. They said, well, we sort of jokingly called it our doctor house because every time the builder would explain that we ought to have something a little higher quality, we we said, put it in. And he said, okay, doctor, and it became a doctor house. So I said, well, what are some of the examples of what he put into this house? Well, she said, he told us that we should have a refrigerator that really looked good in the kitchen. And so we bought one with a brushed chrome door on it, and it had a monogram on it, Yves Saint Laurent. And I said, how much did that refrigerator cost? $15,000. And the builder would say, well, you know, you could really, you should have another room in case you have more children. And so I said, what did you say? She said, well, I guess so. And everything the builder described, they thought they should have one of, and they built a doctor house. And she she said, we went home, 
We talked this over on the way home. We sold our house. We decided to sell our house. We barely sold it when we when the other house was finished. And she said, guess what we had to go through to, to sell that house. I said, what? She said, we had to find a doctor who was... We buy who really wanted a doctor house, and so these people got out of one doctor house, and she said, "Our boys go to a very nice school. It's a public school. It's got a good reputation. We moved to a nice place, nicer spot in town, and we got rid of that debt thanks to you." Well, it wasn't to me. It was to the, my upbringing and uh, what God has built into my life, as far as the. Uh, how we look at material things and how material things can control us, but most of all, how to break the bonds between us and our culture that says if you need it, grab it. Buy it now, enjoy it now, worry about how you pray for it later. Now, you may not realize that that's an American concept, but it is. Then if you, if you have the tendency, as I do, to stray away from your ideals, you will write for yourself a, a, a uh, statement of worth, is what it amounts to, a life mission statement. What is your life worth? What are you aiming for? And how does money fit into that? And uh, Rick Warren has this uh, little uh, scheme about a life uh, mission statement that I'll repeat for you. But the, the point I want to make here is that your, the way you regard money and material things has a lot to do with what the scriptures teach and, and about the way we ought to regard money and material things. And so we'll look into some of those scriptures. But look, here is the, uh, the life purpose statement. It, it defines your shape, if you'll pardon the expression. Summarizes God's pur- purpose for your life, points the direction for your life, defines success, clarifies your roles, and then it expresses what your shape is. And your shape consists of your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. All those things go together to make your life what it is and you need to be able to describe what you want your life to be in a mission statement that will be a corrective if you ever start to stray and feel like you're, you're, you have neglected God's, uh, your, your concern about what God thinks of your stewardship. Now, the principle number one is that God owns all material resources. Does anyone here have an exception to that? Every material thing belongs to God. And as a matter of fact, we're not, we don't consider ourselves material things, but we belong to him too. So God owns everything, not just material things. And uh, we are called upon to be good stewards. Now, who can give me a definition of steward? Someone want to give, a, give it a try? A handler. Right? That's almost there, but there's a little more to it. A gatekeeper? Was there someone here had an input? Manager, gatekeeper, doesn't quite quite get it because there's one little aspect that has to do with it. 
Okay, you said it. Someone else's. It's what, how we manage something that belongs to someone else. And in this case, material things, it's God. And what we do about our stewardship makes an awful lot of difference to God. The earth is mine, says the Lord. Everything in it, the, wor- the world and all who live in it. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. There is not much room there for quibbling, is there? Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Riches fly off to the sky like an eagle. He who loves money never has money enough. Do you know anyone like that? You'll probably run into someone like that because that's a worldly philosophy and the Lord cares about our stewardship, how we manage what he's put into our hands for our managerial skills, whether we like it or not. If we call ourselves Christians, we're under his direction. Who provides wealth? Someone want to answer this loaded question? It is God who provides wealth. That doesn't mean wealthiness. It means value. God provides value. God uh, uh, converts valueless things like us into valuable things like children of the king. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. I won't go through this, but it describes three groups of people. You want to do a quick Bible study with a friend, turn to 1 Timothy 6 chapter, start reading from the last verse of the 5th chapter, and you will see this beautiful example or beautiful description of three people, three kinds of people. People who are not rich, people who, who want to get rich, and people who are rich, and see what the Bible says about riches. And uh, as I said, we won't go into all the points, but it has plenty to say about how God regards riches and how we regard uh, riches if we're not careful. The parable of Matthew 25, 14 through 30 is just filled with 10 or 11 points about stewardship and about and that will just enumerate for you. Remember the story of the rich fool? Put his feet up one day and said, I worked hard. This has been a great life. Now I'm going to take my ease, take it easy and enjoy life. And what did God say to him in the middle of the night? Fool. Fool. In Latin America, we say necio. And they told me, never call anyone in Latin America a fool. Never seen Nacio. But that's what God said to him. And why was it? He left God out of the equation. It is foolish. It is it is uh, futility to expect any kind of blessing or any kind of good if we leave God out of the equation. And uh, surety. Striking hands in pledge. Someone wanted to find that one for me. What does it mean to strike hands in pledge, or the process called surety. Sign for somebody's debts. Signing for somebody's debts. Sounds like a man who's done one. But I'll tell you, I'm the first to confess. One day in Connecticut, we had some bad news. Several of the banks had failed, and I was a member of a, of a real estate partnership that owned several apartment buildings. And... We had trouble with the bank that held the mortgage, and the bank 
wouldn't accept our money, and we defaulted because the bank was in no shape to handle any more money. It was a strange situation indeed. Well, uh, this idea came up that some of the partners in the partnership declared bankruptcy, and one of the and I was I was bound and determined not to declare bankruptcy, but to to fight my way through it. And one day I got a bill in the mail and it said you owe 17 million dollars. Well, I ran to my checkbook and looked at the balance and it didn't have 17 million. Boy, was I disappointed. <laughs> so with a lot of prayer. Well, first of all, the first thing I did was drop to my knees and say, Lord, I did something foolish here. What, what, what did I do? And I violated this law that says do not sign for anyone's debt. And you see, when the other partners separated and declared Chapter 11 or whatever it was, I was left holding the bag because I had my signature on the contracts that they all had signed as well. And so it fell to me to, to shoulder this burden of debt. I prayed a lot. Well, I, I was in South America. My daughter, who was an attorney, called up and she said, Dad, you better get yourself a good tax attorney. <laughs> and I said, who do you recommend? We got together and the miraculously, the Lord weaseled me out of that situation for $63,000. Now, it still hurt because I come from an Armenian background and I came, uh, I was brought up in an immigrant uh, family, and five cents was a lot of money, and very carefully guarded and used. And uh, $63,000 was a big chunk for me, but I paid it gladly because it absolved me of all responsibility. But if you're tempted sometime, out of compassion or greed or whatever, to sign someone else's note, stop. Stop and don't do it. It is a hard lesson to learn. But if you have a Christian brother or sister who is in need and you want to help them, give them what you can. Let them know it comes with no strings attached and that they, they are not answerable to you for, the, for that money. It's a gift. And I found that over the years that's a wonderful way to handle the relief of Christian brothers and sisters who are in need. And then the biblical principle, gather little by little. Whoa, we, we, we hear these TARP funds and these billions of dollars that are being spent all over. And the idea is that we get this, this, this sense that we can just make it big and uh, carry this with you into your professional years. Be satisfied to follow the, the biblical method of uh, remaining solvent. Gather little by little, Proverbs 13:11. Now, in that one parable about the steward, here are the points that Jesus made when he told that parable. A lot of uh, there was a lot in that parable about the man who went away and came back, and he had given three stewards uh, responsibility for managing what belonged to him. That's why they're called stewards because the money did not belong to them. And uh, you can, I won't read these, uh, you can get these on the CD that Randy was telling you about, or uh, I think, or online. It's online uh, on, in the Project MedSend web address. MedSend, 
dot org, I think. That's the third time you've had that commercial. But for Christians, this is a good principle. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there's no rust, there are no moths, there's no decay, and your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart will be in heaven if you follow God's advice. And what we do with our money makes a great deal of difference to God. It says, you know, when the pa- they pass the collection plate in church, what do you do? Stare at what the person next to you gave? No, we very modestly turn the other way. But Jesus didn't do that. He watched what people were putting into the treasury. And it's not for us to know, but he knows. So how we handle things is an important factor in our relationship with the Lord because we are literally under his scrutiny. And that is nothing to be uh, to fear, nothing to be fearful or to quake at, but it's a guideline that keeps us um, moving in the right direction. Oh, this is so painful, isn't it? Talking about financial principles, compound interest, oh, murder. Listen, the world goes around on compound interest. So just to have this one little concept uh, is very, very important, and you'll see why as we, as we progress. A little interest today added to the principle Tomorrow means slightly more principle because the interest for yesterday was put in there and made your, your principal amount a little bit richer. And today's interest will make tomorrow's balance a little bit richer. And so that's called compounding of interest. Every day in the, the bank will give you its grand, the grand sum of one half of one quarter percent nowadays of interest, but it's a little bit and it adds up. Remember that verse said, gather little by little. And so compound interest makes the world go around and it can work for you if you're saving and it can work against you if you're borrowing. And how many here are borrowing for student loans? Everybody. We all borrow today with with the way the world is. Compound interest works for you or against you. The rule of 72 is just a little scheme for trying to figure out how things shake out over time. You divide 72 by the interest rate. Say it's you're getting 9% interest. That means in eight years, you will double your money. It's how to, to get a quick fix on how to double your asset by dividing 9 uh, uh, 72 by the interest rate. And uh, the third principle, third financial uh, principle is to have an idea, a good idea of where you stand financially without being uh, consumed with or uh, obsessed with financial matters. But when I say you ought to know how much you have, you, you should know within $20 what the balance is in your checking account. Good group. Usually they gasp when I say that. <laughs> Financial awareness is very, very important because you, ha- you sort of know where you are and you, things don't get out of control that way. Invest for mission. 
not for riches. God has given us, if we're uh, Christians and following the Savior, uh, he has given us resources and he's given us goals and they should be in conjunction with one another. And uh, as we invest in things, let it be for eternity and not just to get rich or to look richer than we really are. Money is a means to an end, not in itself, not an end in itself. And here's where the life mission statement comes in. If you think you're getting off the track in your, in your concern about money and material things, go back and see what your shape looks like. And you will have a corrective that will keep you on the, the normal and, and productive tack uh, sort of in life. Okay, let's put a couple of illustrations up. $2.74 a day. If you were in practice, you would find it very easy to save $2.74 a day. Today, you'd have trouble getting 12.5% interest, interest. But that is not unreasonable in normal times. And so this, uh, advantage, this uh, little scheme says that you invest at 12.5% interest. Uh, you begin at age 25. You you uh, save for your working years, 40 years, at $2.74 a day. The question is, after 40 years, what will you have as the principal amount of your investment? Somebody want to guess? Mathematician here? No answer is foolish, but it may make me laugh. <laughs> One million. One million. Yeah. But... That's good because most people guess, you know, fourteen dollars and seventy-four cents. No, it's not that bad. But two, a million dollars, at a small amount, with compound interest. That's the the secret here. Borrow nineteen hundred dollars, one thousand nine hundred dollars on your credit card. Do not make another purchase. Just Pay the minimum payment that they say you must pay. Okay? Do not make another purchase. How long will it take to pay off the balance? Now, if you just paid what you could afford on that credit card instead of what they told you they wanted you to pay, you would have paid it off much sooner and saved the interest. But the bank doesn't want you to pay off the, the, the card completely. As a matter of fact, they'd be very happy if you skipped a payment. Isn't that right? Sure. And you would pay over $3,000 in interest over that 19-year uh, period period. But here's a nice scheme. You have a, a home that you've bought, your first home, uh, your doctor now, and uh, you're complete, you've completed your nursing education, and you have a 30-year home mortgage, $120,000 at 7.5% interest. This is a very nice, conservative sort of scheme. And your monthly payment is $839, $840, say. 
Now, if you took that $840 and instead of paying it on the first of the month, you paid half of it, 430 420 twice a month or every other week, paid half of that every other week on a 30-year mortgage, what, would, what effect would that have on your total indebtedness with this scheme? Anybody want to guess? It would reduce your mortgage to 23 years. 23 and a third years. And here's what you would save in interest. $48,000 in interest. We had this uh, talk before, and one of the ladies who works as a secretary ran home and got her checkbook out and started writing her checks every other week. And she was just elated. She was saving all this money, and it didn't cost her anything because it was no problem. See, what you do with this is you make an extra, mor- uh, an extra principal payment in a year. You could do this by just saving up and on January 1st, plunking down one year's $839. And that would make an extra, interest, uh, an extra principal payment, and you'd save this tremendous amount of money on your interest. But take a look at this part of this uh, little jingle here. $250,000 loan paid over a 10-year period, $318, and a total amount of interest of $68,000. Okay, you ready for it? If we add, if, if this were a 30-year mortgage and this loan were stretched out for, for 30 years, there's the difference, 30-year mortgage. Look at what happens. $233,000 in interest by dragging that loan out from a 10-year loan to a 30-year loan. And that's at a very reasonable interest rate. So, what's the, what is the message? I I want to skip this one. This is graduated repayment plan, and I'm telling you now, never do a graduated repayment. Don't pay. Don't let them talk you into the fact that you you or pay less while you can afford it when you're just starting to earn, and that you pay more later because when you pay less, you don't even pay off the accumulating interest. So never take a graduated loan of any kind. Uh, Do it straight. Now, what are the res- results of borrowing for education? First of all, it makes your education possible. Who is going to get through school this e- this year without borrowing money? Do you have a question? I just had a question about the graduated. Yeah. Uh, is that what's known as forbearance? <coughs> no. Okay. Uh, gr- a graduated payment means that you pay less now when you can own when you you are earning less or when you're in training. And then when you have a high income, you will be able to pay more so that you, your payments will be higher. But it has 
nothing to do with, with extraneous matters. But forbearance is when you're making your monthly loan payments and you get sick and you can't work and you don't have unemployment insurance or something and can't make the payment, if you have a reason for not making the payment, the bank will let you put it off for a while. They will put that loan in forbearance. Now, beware, because the interest still is added onto the loan, and the interest may be capitalized. You know what that is? That's where you take your outstanding balance and you add it to the principal. That is also deadly. Capitalization is deadly because it keeps raising the amount of your principal amount every time you make that kind of a, a move. So uh, forbearance is something like uh, deferment, but it's, forbearance has to do with a, 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 uh, an unusual incident that occurs that leaves you short and it helps you, uh, it keeps you from defaulting on the loan is what it amounts to. So, it makes education possible. This is one reason why we borrow and why I'm trying to caution you about borrowing only what is absolutely necessary. It makes you be, uh, oh, it limits your choices because if you're, in, in the greater in debt you are, the less choice you have about just about anything. It places the borrower on a slippery slope. Uh, easy to borrow. You go into the student uh, affairs office, you walk out of there with a pile of money. And it was easy. But it's not so easy paying back. Anyone who's in debt knows that. So you have to earn at least $125 uh, to pay back 100 probably much more than that. And so you need to be careful about this slippery slope. And every time you borrow, think of yourself clinging to the, to the, to the ice-covered slope. Debt must be repaid. If you don't pay your debt, what happens? You go to jail. I mean, it's, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. You must earn more than $125 to repay. How do you borrow? Well, first of all, find out how much it costs you to live. And you do this by doing a financial history. Take uh, uh, four months in your, in your uh, calendar and see what you spent last year in those four representative months, seasons, whatever you want to call it. And uh, see what it costs you to live and then go from there. See how you can cut back and live on less and or make adjustments in the kinds of things you're spending money for. And this is called a financial control plan when you it, it, it deals with what your income is and what your outflow is. Your income, if you're a student, is borrowed money and the outflow should be as little as possible because your, left, your outflow is an expression of your lifestyle. Borrow for needs only and try not to compete socially for the peop with the people around you. It isn't bad to look a little bit odd, but all of us, all of us want to look real beautiful. Well, it's, what it's what's inside that's beautiful, and so don't be obsessed with keeping up with everybody else, keep up with the stars, and 
somehow uh, compete for pricey clothing, pricey cars, pricey everything. Get along with as little as possible. How to minimize borrowing? God owns it all. You're a steward, and it matters to God how you buy, what you spend your money on. What they're His resources, and we say your money, but we really mean that it belongs to Him. Have proper priorities in the use of material things. Settle the question of delayed gratification. Anybody want to tell me what delayed gratification is? Right. Waiting. Waiting. Someone else have a saving now, saving now and spending later. That's fine. Usually, if you want something badly, something you just fell in love with, if you put it away for a week or a month and then go back to it, one of two things may have happened. Number one, you may have seen a bargain in the newspaper and got it for less. Number two, you may not want it anymore. You say, that color looks lousy on me anyway. <laughs> because most colors do look lousy on me. <laughs> but I'm glad they gave us these blue shirts to wear. Otherwise, you would have been ashamed of what I was wearing normally. <laughs> but uh, this whole idea of delayed gratification is, um, is bad for the Christian. Because it, it means that you have this pent-up desire to do something that's not quite as godly as it should be. And then you finally succumb to that. Or you put it off and say, when I have money, boy, am I going to buy that BMW. And there are a lot of people who are controlled by that kind of long-term desire for uh, self-gratification. Remember that God owns it all, proper priorities in the use of material resources, and settle the question of delayed gratification. Have a plan. It sounds scary to, to do a budget, but the fact is, this plan, nowadays, with your computer and Quicken, and, or money, you, you know, it's simple. It's very simple. It's almost a game. It's almost like a computer game. And uh, I just, you know, this is a busy slide, but I want to point out that here are the priorities. Here's your income, $2,917 a month. You take 10% off for tithing and 14% off for taxes, and then you live. That's your net spendable income. You live on this amount. And here's what you should do. Spend about 36% on housing, blah, 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 blah. One day I was doing this, uh, showing this, I was reviewing this slide, and my son came over and he said, 36% for housing. He said, that, that's a principle we followed. I didn't buy a house until it cost me less than 36%. I said, Mark, where did you get that from? He said, you, Dad. <laughs> so my kids picked this up from me. And they both, they all know how to handle money very, very carefully, or else. <laughs> Tithe and give with, when possible, but not with borrowed money. How can a medical student borrowing money, a nursing student borrowing money, how in the world can you tithe? Any ideas? Tithe by self-denial. 
this is the wisdom of a medical student who taught me this. You take, he said, I shop with a list. I stick with my list. And at the end, just before checking out, I take something out of the basket, put it back on the shelf, and I say, Lord, this is for you. And I put the equivalent amount in the offering plate. So he tithed by self-denial. Now, you can't buy, you're not going to tithe on borrowed money. That's not biblical. That's, that's not healthy. But what you can do is be careful about how you handle money and material resources and uh, as far as borrowed money is concerned, don't tithe it. Now, if someone gives you a, a, a sizable gift and it's a consumable, something like that, you might give the Lord part of what it's worth uh, as a tithe. But don't feel uh, necessarily that you should tithe until you're earning and then you must tithe and then you learn how to give above the tithe, and that's when giving to the Lord's work really becomes enjoyable, when you're free to do that. Try to enter a state uh, educational institution. Search for scholarships. Most of you are probably a little bit beyond that, except I spoke with some nursing students today, or some uh, students who are applying to medical school, and they are in the position where they their choice of medical school will make a difference, as you probably painfully are aware of. Avoid <laughs> non-subsidized loans as long as you can. You know, there's a limit to the number of, uh, to the amount of Stafford loans that you can get. And do not buy for significance or based on whether you can make that mon minimum monthly payment. The, the, the vendor wants you to wants you to say, wants you to figure things on the basis of whether you can make the payment. Oh, I can, if I do this, that, and the other, I can just make that payment and buy this. Don't buy it. Don't buy based on whether you can make the minimum monthly payment. Learn how to do without certain unnecessary things. Do not borrow for ministry or short-term mission. I know people, did you, anyone hear the talk on short-term mission? Something like $3 billion was spent on short-term missions last year. It's a big industry. And many kids who have access to borrowing money freely borrow to go on those mission trips. That's not the way to learn about missions. Learn about missions by involving your church in your support, getting friends to support you. It gives you an opportunity to report back. And that is a blessing, becomes a blessing to others. But you should not use tithing money or God's money for, or borrowed money for uh, short-term projects. Never borrow based on whether you can make them a minimum monthly payment. Watch your credit card. If you can't, if you're troubled with your use of a credit card, cut it up. Use a debit card. Only spend what you already have in the bank or what you might have in the bank. And for major major purposes, have a cooling off period. You know, big items like washing machines, if you're moving from one place to another, a used washing machine is just as good. They don't wear out for 30 years or a lo longer. And consider buying used large consumables because they last and they can be, give you very, very good service. Look for a bargain, and I've already talked about giving 
time for cooling off. I just had to have that. Give it a week, give it a month, and see if you really need it. And then live a missionary lifestyle. If you're a missionary, you might as well start living a missionary lifestyle right from the beginning. And most missionaries can afford what they need, provided their support comes in, but they don't even look for stuff that they just plain want. And a separation and, and definition of what is a need and a want is very, very important for you. Missionaries remain unencumbered. They, they don't carry a lot of stuff with them. You heard him last night. He was he's <laughs> practiced and lived all over the world. It's, uh, I don't think he had a, a two-year period where he was in one place. Mission, uh, missionaries, this is the old missionary couplet. Missionaries use things up, wear things out, make things do or do without. And uh, it's the truth. That's how they do it. Missionaries are conservers, not consumers. And do you know what uh, American disease is? What an American disease is? Shopping. Somebody define, define shopping? Nobody's up to it, huh? This late hour of the day? It's. Right, he's got it right here. Somebody else? All right, that could be. But it's buying, usually, it's just walking around browsing the, the, the shopping center, looking something for, to buy that you don't need. And it's a, the famous American sport, but it ain't good. <laughs> for prospective missionaries. Now, if you have income, here are some priorities. First of all, giving. Secondly, taxes. What happens if you don't pay your taxes? You'll be in jail, you won't be able to give. So you want to keep them in order. Then repay debt. Always have in your mind, when you start to earn especially, if you're earning $45,000 as a resident, Nowadays, you do. In your budget, don't just wait for MedSend. In your budget, start to pay back. It is a healthy means of money management, and you'll be blessed if you do it. So debt repayment is important. Then your living expenses. Live on what your uh, budget tells you you have to live on, and... Always, always try to save something if you can. In our home, you automatically saved. And not only that, but we had an old concept called saving up. Did you ever hear of saving up? If you want to buy something, you don't buy it until you save up enough money to buy it. And uh, that's a wonderful principle to follow. Then you don't have to worry about interest. You probably will accumulate interest while that money is moldering in the bank. And then the last priority is, last thing in this list of priorities, is lifestyle. Let lifestyle be your last priority. How to get out of debt? Prevention. Borrow less. Borrow less than you consume, and you will slowly, slowly get out of debt. Plan, plan to pay back with the first dollar earned. Repay as quickly as possible on your own terms, and get rid of any loans that have uh, forbearance, 
uh, deferment, uh, capitalized interest, high interest, or any of those undesirable things that we've talked about. Get those paid off before you concentrate on paying the others. Now, the Lord sent along Project MedSend, and we take a financial history when we do this, and I'll tell you one quick story. What time are we supposed to finish? 12.15? I mean, 5.15? Yeah. Uh, one day I was... Uh, we have a question on our, on our application. It says, explain your financial management. So our committee that looks through applications likes to look for certain things. And this guy's thing was just... Superb. I pay off my my credit card every month. I buy only what I need. I tithe and so forth. And that was just great. I turned the page over and it said, what are your assets and liabilities? And he said, he listed a few minor assets. And then he had, uh, let's see, $19,000 balance on my credit card. I said, what? Flipped the page back and said, I pay off my credit card completely every month. And $19,000 on a credit card. And this bright young doctor didn't realize that he was making the minimum payment that the bank made and thinking that he was paying off his credit card. Then we looked further into his credit card balance and found that he had missed one payment by tra when he was traveling or something. What do you think that did? Hey? Yeah, it hurt his credit rating. But it, and I think you have it here. I'm just not hearing it. He, he uh, interest rises, but it doesn't rise. It jumps. <laughs> right. It goes up for to 30% nowadays maybe a little more. The banks are arguing to make it more. Incidentally, the bank never loses. You know what happens if they lose money? They Obama sends them a check. <laughs> this is the... If you never... If you don't remember all those biblical principles I taught you, remember this. Never feel sorry for a bank. <laughs> the bank always makes out. And so this bank was had this guy in financial slavery and he didn't even realize it. He's a bright young man. Well, he learned, I think, I hope, he learned his lesson. But don't feel sorry for the bank. Now, we also had a little session on, uh, you don't want to know about investing. Some of you might be interested in serving in the armed forces or in the public health service or in the Native American health service. And the question always comes up. Two questions always come up. One is, if I have a low interest rate, my cousin, who's a stockbroker, said I should put the money in stocks and then pay the interest. And don't pay off the loan, put the money in stocks. Every time anybody I know has done that, and I know a medical student in Chicago who, who did this, and within a month, the market had tanked, and he lost thousands of dollars. Pay interest. 
do it the conservative way. Don't put the money at risk, any money that you have that's meant for loan repayment. Don't put it at risk. Use it to pay down your loan. I don't care how low the interest rate on your loan is or how attractive the investment is. It, you cannot take a chance when you're in debt. Now, somebody says to me, did you take a chance? Yes, I bought a stock, and I messed up on it. But it didn't have a, a, a significant effect on my finances because it was very conservative, and I was not using money that was earmarked for debt repayment. So um, be real good about this. Don't, don't borrow money or don't preferentially make an investment. Pay off your loan balances in as quickly as you can. If you anticipate mission service and you're, you're tempted to do one of these very, very good plans, Armed Forces plan is fine if you're not going to the mission field. But if you are going to the mission field, it'll take you 11 or 12 years to get there if you're in the armed services because you go through your residency, then you pay them back each year for a year of service. And so that can add up to seven to ten years of, of delay. And what happens in that seven to ten years? Very often you get overtaken by human events, as the State Department says, overtaken by events, and you never get to the mission field. And there are a lot of young people who violated that principle and who, who today are uh, unhappy because they weren't able to follow God's call on their lives. I think we'll stop there. And you can ask me a question or two. Yes. Well, I just wanted to ask about the idea of having a uh, uh, credit balance. I mean, a credit rating, rather. Uh, as things turn out in my life, uh, I learned principles, the kind of principles your parents taught you, and I didn't borrow for anything. Well, then, of course, I didn't have a credit rating either. But, you know, people say, well, that's bad. You have to have a credit rating. Uh, maybe could you just tell me what you think about it? <laughs> well, I tried this myself. I had the, I, that question. And uh, I went to the savings bank in my town. I said, they tell me I need to have a credit rating. What do I do? The guy said, here, give me a check for $4,000. I gave him a check for $4,000. He put it in a bank account. I said, what do I do next? He said, take the money out of the bank next month. Had a credit rating. I paid it back, and I was a hundred percent payer. So now that was about 40 years ago, 30 or 5 years ago. But the fact is that what they want to see is if you have this sense of responsibility to pay back and not to fritter it away. So I, that's a good question. Yeah, right. I can think of some rare circumstance where that might be useful. But generally, the general rule is use that money, whatever money you have, to pay down interest rates, but but don't endanger the, the, your ability to make the monthly payment because getting behind sort of messes up that whole scheme. <laughs>
and it's very it, it is sort of dangerous. I wouldn't borrow to reduce indebtedness because then you're you may be paying uh, for the borrowing twice, very likely. There was a question here before. Yes. Yeah. Well, tithing is largely a matter of conscience and and uh, um, your your relationship with the Lord. And I don't think that God is waiting is, is has got a sledgehammer just waiting to bang you on the head. It's not never been my concept of God. God is a loving God and He knows your your heart. And if you you feel comfortable in doing that. Uh, tithing from borrowed money, then I wouldn't condemn it at all. But I don't, for me, I I wouldn't do it. I'd look for some other way to give or defer my giving. And I've had a lifelong habit of giving, of, of tithing. Started when I was a paper boy, and I had the large largest uh, route in Westchester County. And uh, four and a half miles I used to pedal every day. And I made $4.30 at the end of the week. And every week, that $0.43 went into a little jar, and it added up. But I think that's the way to do it. That's that's the way I would do it. I wouldn't borrow. If we're going back to school as a second career, how do you feel about borrowing against your retirement funds to pay for your savings? For borrowing against retirement funds for what purpose? Oh, to go back to school? Well, that's one of the legitimate, they say. Uh, I don't have any expertise on it, and I haven't tried, followed a model of any kind, a financial model, but uh, uh, you're borrowing from yourself when you borrow from your 401k, and that probably would have been a good deal just before the markets collapsed because you would have, you know, you would, you, you'd be paying your back and yourself back with, more valuable dollars, but uh, a pension fund shouldn't be there as a straitjacket, and I think that that might make sense uh, if you can find somebody who would put some figures together and prove it to you, it would be better, but I think it might make sense. Any other questions? Thank you very much. You've been a good audience. It's a tough time of day. <laughs>